Hey, this is Talk Gnosis, the web's premier uh, internet talk show about Gnosticism, the Gnostics, Gnosis, uh, uh, marketing, uh, weird religion, weird religion, whatever else we feel like talking about. Uh, I am Deacon Jonathan Stewart. I am joined by Bishop Laney. Hello, Bishop. Hello, Deacon. How are you today? Oh, I'm well. I'm well. You know, as I've as I've already said when the cameras weren't rolling, and as I've been saying at the beginning of all these shows, as well as one can here in these strange times, uh, we're recording this late November. There's some good news in the world. There's still some bad news. So you know, mixed bag. But me personally, I'm doing fairly well. I just I just like to be honest, Bishop. I got to take everybody through it. Well, you know, we're strange people. I guess we were built for strange times. Yes. Yeah, that is a good thing about being a Gnostic. It is. It has prepared us for for the true life in the Kenoma. Uh, Bishop, we've got uh, a very, 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 we very do. fascinating guest and topic tonight. We're joined by William Charnock, who's going to be talking to us about his Aeon cards and the Knockwood cards and a whole bunch of other stuff. Hello, William. Hi, John and Lainey. Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Thank yeah, you for being is- on the show. Yeah, this is really amazing to have you and to again. Uh, I really love the the Wizard of Oz as a as as a Gnostic parable. Parable. So to 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 move the curtain so people can see the ultimate truth. We actually did have a show with William almost two years ago that that unfortunately was lost. The Archons took it from us. So we're as I said, sort of extra pumped, extra excited to have this do over. And actually, William, when we talked to you, you didn't you didn't have the Aeon cards out yet. So this is this is meant to be. No, I'd only started with what were the behavioral archetype cards, which were the first deck of cards, which took me down that Gnostic rabbit hole ultimately and then led to the cards that came out at the beginning of 2020, which was uh, the Aeon cards, which were based on uh, some Gnostic diggings that I'd been doing. Precisely. Well, we're going to dive into that uh, in a sec, but before we uh, get to the stake, a little bit of sizzle, which is the commercial that I absolutely hate doing. But you know what? If we get enough patrons, I won't have to do it anymore. <laughs> uh, I also hate begging for money. But again, this is life in the Kenoma. Uh, this show is brought to you by viewers like you. We literally can only pay for it uh, through uh, Patreon support because we do have to hire a digital studio to present the show to you all. If you are able and want to support us financially you can do so by going to patreon.com slash gnostic you can donate as little as a dollar per piece of media per month you can also put a cap on that so you know if you only want to pay two dollars a month you can do that if you want to do a one-time donation you can do it at paypal.me slash gnostic uh we understand we've we were opening every show about the times that we live in i i know that this is pretty lean you know Chris, christmas is coming the, the Hanukkah is coming. The holidays are coming. You're pr- trying to put away a little extra money. Every dollar counts. The you eviction also- moratoriums are co- are, co- are ending soon as well. So yes, yes. here in the U.S. Yeah. Great, great example. Great example. Yeah. I believe that um, uh, they're ending in in the places in Canada that had them as well, and probably all around the world. So yes, uh, we really we understand. It. We get it. We get it. So you can help us out in other ways. You can uh, like and subscribe on YouTube. You can leave a review. You can comment, positive comments. You can review us on the podcatcher of your choice. You can subscribe on the podcatcher of your choice. You can share the show on social media. And something that really helps is is personal 
person to person. You know, if you'd like yeah. the show, email, email the episode that you like the best to a friend and be like, hey, you're stuck in your house all winter. Uh, if you watch 10 of these in a row, you'll get enlightened. Uh, no guarantees. So... <laughs> The, the commercial is over. Um, William, I, I actually realized that there is there is a question that I forgot to put on our question sheet, which is, who are you? If you want to just give us a quick introduction to William. A little bit Sarnock. of information. Yes. I mean, I guess, uh, I don't know, a bit of a renaissance man. Um, so many different sides to my character, but um, I... Used to, I worked in advertising for a very long time. I worked with brands uh, all around the world. Um, I went down a path of creating a deck of cards probably about five years ago, and more recently have been exploring Aeonology and the Aeons, uh, the Gnostic Aeons, and that's been a, a little bit of a passion of mine for a, about three years now. Yes, and uh, that leads perfectly into the very first question I have on our question sheet, which is, William, what is an Aeon? Well, it's a, it's a really good question because there's so many interpretations of what an Aeon is. An Aeon is a period. I mean, the actual literal definition, I think, is a period of time. Um, and the Aeons seem to have many different interpretations. Um, the aeons, as I've been thinking about them, are really uh, in, in the Gnostic origin stories that they were the things that were the energies. I like to think of them as energies that were created before anything else could be created. So, they, uh, if you imagine this quantum ripple in in space time continuum where there was absolutely nothing and then all of a sudden something was there and these aeons came out in pairs. Um, and they, they, they start with some fantastic ones of mind. They start with depth and silence. And then there are these generations, these pairs of aeons that come out uh, before anything else in the universe could be created. Um, and <clears throat> my interpretation of them after a couple of years is that they, in some ways, were attempts to try and explain a lot of the things in the world, both psychological, um, so they seem to be sort of a very early type of psychology, sort of trying to understand why we see the world as it is, what we see in the world. Um, they're trying to understand the material world, so there's elements of them that are really tangible and practical and, and concrete. But there's also a whole layer of them that is spiritual and um, philosophical and, and uh, godlike, uh, so divine. I, I, in, in, I talk about both divine and earthly. These These are... Half of these are divine forces and half of them are psychological forces and the other half are all material forces. Mm. Now, you you mentioned uh, uh, at the top uh, about you working with your previous deck of cards and kind of coming into Gnosticism, discovering Gnosticism, recreating Gnosticism. C can you tell us about this journey of how you became interested in the early Gnostics and draw from, from their work in, in, in these cards that you're doing? Yeah, it, it was really a, without going back too far, I'd been working um, with archetypes. They're, they're pretty classic in the, uh, the world of advertising and marketing. But the archetypes that exist out there that everyone uses are Carl Jung's archetypes, which are, are sort of 12 
narrative archetype. They're part of the collective conscious. Um, and I found those very limited for what I was doing. And I went down a path of creating a set of um, behavioral archetypes that I, I needed to talk to clients about how a brand should behave, how their organization behaved, what culture they wanted to create. The way I went about doing that was by going back in history and looking at every single categorization of human behavior I could find and sort of analyzing them to come up with what ultimately turned out to be six core motivations. Long story short, I ended up using those six to create a deck of 36 cards. So six times six, so there's a primary and secondary on each card to create a set of 36 archetypes. What I didn't realize was in doing that, I had actually uncovered a whole load of um, philosophy, psychology, um, going back to Homer, um, going back to various Greek trends. And what happened as I was looking at these things, I, I was trying to find parallels in, in the world. And that's where I stumbled across uh, a number of the Naj Hammadi texts that seem to have some real parallels between my deck of cards and these origins of the universe that were described in those, those texts. And what was interesting is the six sort of main motivations that I had turned out to be six of the main motivations, the first generation of aeons that were described. Uh, they were always almost a perfect match. And so um, it was that that got me into Gnosticism. It's that that took me down a path of trying to understand what are these aeons, what are these energies and forces in the world that, that really date back not just to early Christian, but date back to many pre-Christian and almost every religion has some sort of description of these energies and forces. And some of them are personalized into deities and, and anthropomorphized into deities. Some of them are just entities or, or concepts, but they do seem to be consistent across almost every uh, set of spiritual beliefs in the world. And I'm, so I've been looking at all of that. Yes. Well, I, I guess if you could tell us, you know, what are the Aeon cards? What are they used for? And I believe you have set up the the, the card cam. Uh, you know, people who are listening or watching to this are probably already passionate about seeing them. So if you could tell us a little bit about them, what they're used for, and perhaps show them off a bit. Um, so let me just I'll take you a little bit through the... Um, the structure of the cards. So the aeons really, as I said, had this sort of this this generational flow. They started with some fundamentals and then they went into sort of different things. So on the cards, each card, I don't know if you can see them here, yep. each card has sets of little symbols in the corner. Um, that really, each, each one of those symbols is on this card here. I don't know if you can see that. Um, but there's one set of aeons. So there are the first six that came out. Then there's a second set of aeons. These are what the, they're called the decad. They're the, the 10, which are all these sort of, I've called them the decad of intelligences. These are the more spiritual forces. These are the more spiritual energies. And, and they, 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 they came into the world in pairs. So they're, they're these five syzygies that, that make 10 uh, intelligences. 
And then the next generation came out, which I've called the dodecad of matter. This is um, this is a total of twelve, um, and so that creates a, another layer of sort of material forces, which are much more sort of tangible and sort of connected to our world. Um, what's also interesting is that every single one of these has a, a sort of male and female. So they came out in pairs and they are nominally named male and female, but it's it's not in quite the gendered way we think of it today. The, 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 they're more like complementary forces that go together and should live together. They were described as syzygies and that means they were, they were yoked together. I mean, it literally means yoke, uh, you know, on a, a horse and cart, you have a yoke that ties two horses together. These two were inseparably connected initially, and so they are these complementary players, and they're male and female. And the reason I say it's not gendered, the Agimatricos, one of these aeons, which is is the maternal aeon, um, is actually gendered male, which is is interesting. But it's because of the the nature of of the energy and the force. It's got nothing to do with the gender. It's it's to do with its form rather than substance, and the mother is a—it's a form of of behavior, not a, a a more a softer, fluffier description. It's actually a particular way of being, um, and so each card is right. So the cards actually—you can look at the pairs, you can look at the different things. Um, what I've found these cards to be really interesting for is. Um, really as a tool of self-reflection. I think what's really interesting, um, and Carl Jung used a lot of these cards for his, his some of his frameworks for the psychology of, in, in his psychology. Um, what's interesting about these cards is that they, uh, in many ways, describe many of the psychological aspects of, of being a human. And so in, I've been using these cards as a, a tool for reflection, a tool to help me think about the many different dimensions of myself, of my mind, of my spirituality. And I use them as a sort of a reminder of, of these different facets, both of the divine spark that is within you and and the psychology, both conscious, unconscious, and spiritual. Um, and so in some ways it's a, a tool of reflection, a tool of uh, meditation. It's almost like pre-meditation. It's sort of uh, thinking forwards rather than reflecting backwards. So um, the cards are, bit, are very interesting. Um, I've, I've actually, because I've been using them quite a lot now, I've actually been, people, of course, because you create a deck of cards, people ask you to sort of read them um, and actually do a reading and use them, um, which I initially resisted because I actually don't believe, I, I don't like that sort of fortune-telling sensibility. Um, but the way I sort of use them is as triggers and prompts for people to reflect on. And then we use it as a way of thinking what, possibilities and options exist as you look forward, as you try to think about sort of solving problems. Um, and so the, the readings I do have a particular, and again, taken from Gnosticism, they, the cards are in a position of what is now and what will be, and a sort of inner reflection and an outer reflection, again, following some of the, 
the Gnostic texts, particularly Gospel of Thomas and some other pieces like that that uh, inspired the, the reading spreads that I've been doing. Yes. Um, not a question, just a comment that, that I think a lot of loyal uh, listeners and, and watchers are, know that I'm going to make is I simply love that origin story of of you not reading a bunch of Gnosticism and creating something, but you creating something and then finding Gnosticism through it. And I've heard similar stories, and I think many people out there have had similar encounters. Uh, that that trail of breadcrumbs and finding out that the Gnostic mythos really does correspond quite well to what we find within, without, and in this reality. So not not reading it in afterwards, but coming to it, uh, discovering it organically seeing it in the world around us and you know th this is a powerful experience and it's it's a common ex I, I, common is perhaps common for gnostics <laughs> common for people interested in gnosticism experience uh bishop lady before i com uh continue barreling on do you have <laughs> thoughts feelings reflections questions anything at all yeah, you know, kind of uh, based on one of the questions on the sheet, but I want to kind of expound on it a little bit. Uh, the, the idea that people say that they are in Gnosticism and they want to do Gnosticism, they're pointed to a bunch of books and a bunch of books that were written a very long time ago. Some of them might be pointed to Jung or some of the Western mystery tradition. Um, but, do you, uh, sir, do you think that your cards might help people approach Gnosticism from a different perspective, one that's more interesting? Integrative, not just reading something that somebody else wrote, but actually doing something um, with the cards that you've put together and actually interacting with them. Yeah, I, I mean, in creating them, yeah, I did do exactly the same thing. I found all these books. I was reading all these things. What I love and what people have really reacted positively is actually having a tool of Gnosticism rather than just another old book. And this is a tool, and again, the aeons are, are quite fundamental throughout all of the texts, and you can find references to them in, in lots of different places. But the question is like, how do I use that? What do I do with it? Um, what I find it in using them as a tool and using them a bit like a tarot card is it, is it forces you to think about these different dimensions of yourself and your spirituality. And, and ref even though the cards come up in a random form, they cause you to think about that. They're sort of ways into the problem. And I think one of the most fantastic things about this is it gives you a, again, if I'm doing a reading and, and a card comes up, that's uh, your way into that problem, thinking at it through one of the multifaceted lenses of Gnosticism. So you sort of come at it with this religious belief, but it's not the whole of it, which is sometimes too much. It just picks one of them and says, right, start thinking about it from the perspective of, let's say agape, which is love, or start thinking about it from, uh, I'll just pick it, I mean, elpis, which is hope, or pick at it from the sense of mind or, or, or truth. So it's just a sort of doorway for reflection. And I think in some ways that opens you up. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing I think, again, talking very personally in terms of how I've used it, the thing that, resonated with me is that your religious self or your being is not mo monofaceted it's not one thing it's not i think there's a lot of reaction these days to to 
heavy dogma or too strict singular interpretations. And so what, what I like about it is it, it sort of asks you to think of yourself as a multifaceted thing. Uh, but then also it's a tool to say, right, which one am I going to focus on today? Which one am I? I do a reading where I just pick one card a day and reflect on that card. I find myself doing it every day. It's like, what's my take on today? And it's so interesting to pick a either a spiritual or a psychological or even quite a material thing. Um, it's sort of random how it comes up, but it's amazing how that frames your day and changes your perspective. So, I mean, if, for example, this morning I might have picked up Patrikos, which is father, and the cards and the book about the cards give you this perspective of what is fatherhood, what is it paired with, which is not motherhood. Um, and what is the spirit of fatherhood? Fatherhood is about protection. What are the things today I have to protect? What are the things that I care about? What do I find valuable? Um, I think that can be done by male and female. And I think that's why the gender thing is sort of interesting. It's not saying, oh, you can only be fatherly if you're a male actually saying all mother is another one i love it when mother comes up because uh matricos comes up because it's sort of like what am i nurturing what am i developing and so it gets you out of that sort of conventional way of thinking and starts giving you these frames in which to sort of go through your life with yeah um you did mention tarot in passing. How how are these cards different from, say, tarot or or even sort of similar reflective divinatory systems like, say, the I Ching? I, I like to think it's, I, I call it uh, guidance from your own being. Um, I think tarot and many of these things tend to say that the, there are forces out there that the cards will somehow channel and, and force and give you an answer to a problem that you're looking for. I think these cards work in a different way. Um, they ask you to look to yourself for the answer and, and give you a, a, a doorway into that. Um, I, I used to sometimes make decisions by tossing a coin. So I'd, heads, I'll do one thing, tails, I'll do another. You toss the coin, you flip it over, and you look at the answer and sometimes it's not the answer you want and you go, oh, I wish it was the other one. And in some ways that unlocks a sort of intuitive answer that you had within yourself, but you somehow couldn't access it when you were trying to decide. I feel like the cards work a bit like that. The, the cards turn over a, a response and it's really up to you to decide whether that's the response you want or, or not. Um, so again, it's not telling you this is the answer, but it is actually putting an answer in front of you and asking you to think about what you think about that. And does that unlock some intuitive knowledge, some sense of what you already knew the answer was? Um, and in that respect, it, it's sort of, in many ways, sort of accesses information that you sometimes you find hard to access through the sort of normal, rational, reasonable channels and, and sort of gets to some of these sort of more intuitive and non-rational thought processes within us. Yeah. Some could be divine, some could not be. <laughs> um, 
So uh, I, I should say, obviously, uh, my bag is sort of churchy religious narcissism. Um, but, you know, we recently interviewed just last week the, the New York Art Collective, Divine Spark Media, and, and they're creating art around Gnostic themes. Uh, I recently read a, a, the book by Jonathan Kahana Bloom, who I'm hoping to have on the show. That's why I keep mentioning him, because I'm going to uh, at him, because he hasn't answered my emails uh, on Twitter. But... <laughs> I know you're out there, Dr. Kahana Bloom, but he sees Gnosticism as ancient critical theory. Uh, the famous literary critic, uh, Harold Bloom, uh, who considered himself an agnostic or an atheist, he, he considered his criticism uh, in his writing to be a, a form of literary Gnosticism. So do you see Gnosticism as something non-religious people can embrace and that you can work into other genres? And, and perhaps what potential do you see outside of you know, a, a strict re religious church setting for, for Gnosticism in the modern world? Well, I, I think, and again, this is I, a part of it that's a starting point into Gnosticism, so that can take you further into Gnosticism. For me, it was sort of psychological. It was about understanding yourself, knowing yourself, being given a way of looking inward for what powers and energies and forces you have within yourself um but then recognizing there are other parallel powers energies and forces outside yourself in the universe um and so i look when you look at young when you look at various other psychological sort of ways of thinking about uh, therapy or ways of working out who you are and what you what you believe then there's, in some ways, Gnosticism, at least the Aeon part of it, acts as a sort of framework from which you can sort of try and understand yourself. And I think that, for me, is is one way that Gnosticism comes in. It's sort of a, a tool for what you know, what you don't know, what you believe, what you have faith in, what you tangibly seek, your will, your desire, um, so somewhere between the sort of fortune telling of astrology and, and the psychology of, of somebody like Jung, where you're tapping into sort of unknown forces as well as known forces um, and unconsciousness and unconsciousness and, and cognition and uh, what you see and, and what your mind is telling you. Um, there's a whole lot in Gnosticism around mind, uh, nous, the, the, the meaning of that and the various different interpretations. And I think even when you think about creativity, which was my work in, in advertising, when you think about um, what do I think is good work? What, what do I think is worthy work? Um, not just work that other people acclaim. In some ways, Gnosticism helps you work through some of those things. Um, at least I found it very good for for helping me work out what I think is a good use of my time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, a question that I, I'm starting to to ask all of our guests, uh, so I'd be interested to hear your take on it. But it's Gnosticism, it seems to be having a bit of... Um, a resurgence now now this is a, still a humble resurgence but I, I think it's it's a bigger flow of of narcissism than we've seen in a long time uh, why you know what i i think the time is right 
I think there's a great dissatisfaction with the, some of the systems and institutions that yeah. just seem to have failed us. So I actually think there's an environment where people are looking for something different. Yeah. I can't remember who it was. I, I in, in some of my readings, there was someone who noted that the, um, the hermetic corpus uh, was discovered in Again, I may get the dates wrong, so forgive me. Those of you who know this better discovered in like the, uh, went to the Medici's in about the 14th century, but I think the Byzantine, they'd been lost in Turkey or, or the Byzantine Empire sometime before that. And it was really the translation of those that sort of led to this massive, uh, the Reformation and the, the whole rethinking of, of religious thought that came out of that. And it was these texts that, that were, had been around, but just suddenly got translated, got discovered, got passed around and and opened up people's door, doorways and thinking to a whole new way uh, of, of seeing it. And I do think the Naj Hammadi texts, which although found in the 40s, never really got out there until Elaine Pagel and um, really the 70s and 80s when they became available. Um, so we're really early into, I mean, that's literally tens of years ago um, mm -hmm. that these texts came out. And I think the impact of those texts, the impacts of, of the, the frameworks that are within them, including things like the aeons, um, which were known before, but they weren't perhaps described in as much detail as they are in some of those texts. I think that discovery is unlocking a whole, again, a, maybe not a second reformation, but an opening to these, these thoughts and ideas. And I, I, I think you do see them just having these ripple effects into all sorts of other areas. So I do think there's a, we're really early on in, a, in, in a unlocking of some new ways of thinking and, a, and I think Gnosticism is, is one of the, the exploration of that, I think, is having a knock-on effect. And I, I think in 100 years, that knock-on effect will be quite massive. Um, so I'm not being humble here. I'm actually being quite the opposite. I'm quite audacious in... I, I do think there's this growth in interest that really comes from the Naj Hammadi texts. And I think we're going to see a massive cultural shift, in, especially in this context where institutions are untrusted, I think looking to yourself for answers. And I think there's a lot in Gnosticism of the divine spark within you, um, not looking to a church to provide that or through the, the patriarchy of the, the, the priests, but actually look, having that divinity within you, um, I think is quite a radical thought. I think it was at the time, that's why it was called a heresy. And I think it's, it's something, the sort of thing people are looking for now. So a little bit of a rejection of, of, of the institutions of religion um, that in many ways have failed us. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, too harsh. <laughs> no, <laughs> we, uh, uh, we really do need to do a proper show on the Corpus Hermeticum because I'm just going to add to what you were saying where it, it's really not even discussed or taught as much in, in formal history classes as it should, but the Corpus Hermeticum, yeah, it did. It jumpstarted both the Renaissance and the Reformation. And you can really draw a straight line from some very important modern ideas 
to those texts. One of them being our, our ideas about human rights. Just uh, a lot of things that we um, take as self-evident <laughs> um, mm -hmm. that are the, the bedrock of our functioning democratic system. I, I really do believe those those come from the Corpus Hermeticum. And, and like you're saying, William, it actually did take a while for that bomb to go off. For a while they're in Byzantium, then they came to the West, and information uh, moves slowly, particularly back then. So it took them time to translate and be circulated but here we are you know six seven eight nine hundred years later and we're still feeling the effects of those texts so i i think that is a very potent and powerful idea that that we're this is just the the birthing of and, the the effects of the dog body yeah and i'm seeing some of it in, in i mean i have a personal interest in art and you see people like hilmar f Klimt. you yeah. see leona carrington some of the women artists who've been overlooked so again this male-dominated culture in religion and overlooking of a lot number of, of, of women. Again, I think the Gnostics had uh, much less of that. But also in the art scene, you see all these thoughts in some of these overlooked artists who were dismissed as being sort of weird, either crafty in the sense of Hilmar F. Klimt or Leona Carrington was really just sidelined by the, by, um, the institution of art. But now they all tapped into some of these things, either because of an interest in the occult or because they had uh, were exploring surrealism and different ways of thinking. And so in some ways, Gnosticism is, is, is part of these subcultures that have been overlooked. And I think people love finding those things and discovering them. And I think in the art scene, definitely... Ethel Calhoun, another surrealist artist, female, who was overlooked. Um, her work is getting real recognition, and I think some of it's because people now understand the, the places some of the art came from because of the Naj Hammadi text, because of um, some of these occult themes being more populist, being more understood. Yeah, especially in the case of somebody like Kamala off Clint. Well, well, the, all all the people that you mentioned, where where you're literally, she was literally seeing into the future. Like sometimes her art, which is always beautiful, always beautiful, and moving to see in person, is not as shocking or as original when we're more used to the history of art from the last hundred years, right? The last 80 years, I should be saying. But when she was creating those at the end of the 1800s, like it, she was literally creating the art of the future. <laughs> it's, it's, it's astounding to me. It's mind blowing. Um, uh, and uh, and so much of her work is 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 she prefigures so so much more later. But uh, anyways, again another another note to myself to to do a show on her. Um, one last question, although it probably won't be the last one. While we're dwelling with the Aeon cards, before we talk a little bit about the Knockwood cards, is you uh, you you did create a book to go along with the Aeon cards, which is free online as well. You know, I'll make sure to link to it in the show notes. Can you tell? us a little bit about the book that goes along with them yeah um the book that goes along them is really it, it it's this is the book here it it takes you through some of the history of the aeons what they are all the descriptions and and then some of the different ways of reading the cards and then there's a description of each of them um at the back there's a whole load of methodologies for for 
for doing readings of, for various uses. Um, the, there's a second book which I've just done, which again, only digital, but is free online at Knockwood Cards. Um, this is about the syzygies of Aeon and really looking at what is the meaning between these pairings that they have, because they seem like odd pairings when you first look at them. You think, why, if these are inseparable forces, why are they paired in the way they are? And, and it's the second book is a real exploration of why I think these two things come together and are connected. Um, and then, so those are the two cards. The other deck of cards that is available there is the Knockwood cards. And that's that was my behavioral archetypes cards. Those are the cards that I use with clients. Um, those are the cards that I, and again, in the same way as the Aeon cards unlock your own inner sense of who you are and what you're about. These cards were done in a very commercial sense, helping large corporations. And I worked with everybody from Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Chubb Insurance. Um, they thought I was mad when I brought out a deck of cards and, and asked them to sort them and get them to say who they were, pick the ones that represented who they wanted to be and think about their business and their brand from that perspective but actually it led to some really amazing and, and really unconventional strategic approaches that that i think if you just did, went at it with a sort of linear approach that a lot of people in that world do the linear rational approach it actually unlocked a whole load of sort of uh strategies that i hadn't even thought or i, I would perhaps wouldn't get through through the normal rational route um and and it sort of is interesting to start playing with clients with non-rational thinking in the marketing space because it's so dominated by numbers these days. Um, but I won't get into the marketing <laughs> unless you want to. <laughs> I, I think we probably have a, a few follow-up questions about that. But before I plunge on, uh, because I love the sound of my own voice, I always want to take a breath and just check in with Bishop Laney if you, if you have uh, more to add, more to ask, any rabbit holes you want to jump into. Well, I am interested in talking more about marketing and, and, and that sort of issue. So I, I, I'm looking forward to it. One of the things is, um, Jonathan, you, you and I are both uh, freelance writers and we do a lot of marketing copy, both of us. Um, and one of the things that I often run into is clients that don't know what they want. Mm -hmm. uh, they will hire a company and they'll th they seem to think they know what they want, but when it comes right down to it, they don't know what they want. And I know that many uh, marketing firms, also graphic arts firms, anybody that works in, in that arena, uh, they have a bunch of different tools that they use to get clients to realize what they want. And it, it's interesting to me because uh, there are some very useful tools for getting the client to know what they want. Well, why couldn't that be applied um, to other people and other situations uh, where they can engage with you know, perhaps symbols or a process that can give them some, some realization of their motivations or what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, uh, and, and here's for, for all the other marketers and then in people <laughs> in advertising and copywriting out, out there. Now you have a new tool whenever you have that very common frustrating encounter with a client, um, that, that does actually really lead in quite well to, to my next question, which is as, as, as Bishop Laney mentioned, uh, 
we, we both uh, have connections to advertising and marketing, you know, through copywriting. Sometimes I call myself, quote unquote, a digital professional, whatever that is, right? Just to let people know that I'm, I'm flexible. The founder of Talknosis, Father Tony, he too, he worked in email marketing and digital marketing for a while. Marketing, advertising, copywriting in common parlance and among the many progressive people, many artistic people, many people off the street, th th these are associated with, with being phony, right? This is associated with uh, misusing your talents and tricking people. So, and, and I think a lot of people in the spiritual world specifically would have a, a general feeling that branding and marketing are actually the enemies and the opposites of authenticity spirituality and philosophy so do you think that these these things are opposed and, and do you think the knockwood cards can sort of bridge that gap i'd like to think so i i think the world of market i think you're absolutely right and i think even the advertising industry if they were honest would say that they feel like they're a little bit in that space um of inauthentic and not real i i think the the past let's say a hundred years of advertising marketing was very much involved in managing perceptions, managing the spin and the story and the narrative around the company, the brand. Um, what I think is true is that when you had such limited media channels, companies could get away with saying one thing and doing something else. They just can't do that anymore. The reason I created the Knockwood cards was because all of the archetypes were about the story, the narrative you would tell, and it was all like Carl Jung's myths. But actually the challenge clients were having is not the marketing of, of what to say. They know what they want, how they want to spend it. The problem was the truth was their reality wasn't in line with that. So the, the Knockwood cards were designed to help them think not about what story do you want to tell, but who are you? What do you really do? What I, I use them to help them decide the reality of their business, not the perception of their business. What things, what behaviors will you do? What beliefs do you have? And I had a whole process of developing belief systems that the whole organization could use and behavioral systems that meant that if you behave in this way, you, you actually do that thing. And you, you actually do work that is so powerful and so interesting that you don't have to spend a story about it. You just amplify and tell people that's what, what you're about. And, and I see that is where marketing is going these days, managing the reality of the business, managing the brand in every single thing they do, not just marketing touch points, actually being the thing they say they are and being true to that. Um, and I, while I think some of my work in helping people identify their behavioral type um, has been really useful in differentiating their behavior from other people. Um, I do think that's a big shift. Like reality is biting every marketer in the ass right now. Um, yeah. If you look at any problem, it, it's because the, the spin is different to the reality and I, we've got to get past that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, somehow we're already in the the... The final moments of the show, although I would love to keep going on forever, and I bet you a lot of people out there would love it if we kept going on forever. Uh, Bishop Laney, uh, do you have any any final closing questions or thoughts that you want to get in before we hit that that final stretch? I'm very much looking to get it, looking forward to getting my hands on these decks because I'm I'm interested in working with them and checking them out. Uh, it, they look fascinating. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I think I think you're really going to love them. Um, okay, so as I said, we're going to put in, and of course, everybody out there watching this are going to love them. And and of course, just like we were discussing, now we have a new interesting powerful intuitive tool for you to do gnosticism with so you don't have to sit around with a dusty pile of books <laughs> <laughs> you know i just i just shuffled the cards and i pulled it first card i pulled out was the sophia card which is one of my favorites oh that's great um so she's she's with you Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, that is that that is the best review we could possibly get. That's the think best so. backup we could get. Yeah. Oh, William, it's it, it's been amazing. So, uh, so for wrapping up, uh, I, I also do a final commercial, um, uh, which is uh, I, I do teach secular meditation, uh, mindfulness meditation, psychology based meditation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I have both uh, training and and real world experience. And with all of us stuck in the house, it's a good time to build a daily meditation practice. So I do a weekly sit Sunday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, and you can you can come in and join. Uh, it's by donation, but you don't have to donate if you just want um, to, to sit with us, have a little bit of guided meditation. If you've never meditated before, you can pop in. I always give a little bit of instruction. Uh, you can find out all the details at mileendmeditation.substack.com. Uh, you can sign up for the email newsletter there and of course substack also functions as a blog so you can just check out any details what have you i also do one-on-one -on -one coaching for mindfulness and meditation again by donation so you can get in touch with me through uh, mildlandmeditation.substack.com if you ever want to chat to me about that uh bishop laney do you have any plugs uh, not at this time. I just, uh, for those, if those of you who celebrate, I wish, uh, and I, I'm not sure when this episode's going to air, but I wish you all a happy and safe, uh, holiday season. I know it's going to be a very different year this year. Uh, so if there's any time for us to be mindful, I'm going to say it's about now, uh, <laughs> because we're seeing a lot of traditions upended this year and I know it's going to be hard on everybody. So, uh, do know that uh, I do have a candle ministry on Facebook. You can uh, find me, Lainey Peterson, on Facebook. And if you need to request a candle, you can do so. Um, you can also you know, check out my blog. But I haven't updated it in a while, but there it is. Uh, but if you're at all interested in having a candle set for you and your family, let me know about it. Amazing. And uh, William, one more time, if you can tell the, the good people out there where to find you online and, and where to get these amazing cards. Yeah, if you go to www.knockwood.com. Sorry, notwithcards.com. Um, you can check it out there. And if you do want to look backwards, there is also on that site a, a reading I did for the whole year on uh, 20, 2020 and what we should expect. And um, I must say it was very prescient of the year we've just had. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> that well, I'm, I'm, de I'm definitely going to review that, and then I'm going to very carefully look for the and uh, study the 2021 reading if you release one. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay, folks. Uh, this is Deacon John signing off. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, we love you. Good night. Good luck. Farewell. May Sophia be with you too. Thank <laughs> you.